let's go. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We are uh, back for our seventh episode of Let's Go Steal a Podcast. So today, my co-host is Tara Kennedy. Hi, Tara. Hello. Uh, so tell us how you got into Leverage. So I was actually um, right there at the very beginning. Um, I'm a Timothy Hutton fan. I, you know, like heist and or revenge things, which this was both. Yes. Um, and so I watched it from the very beginning and all the way through and really enjoyed the pretty much the entire series. There were a couple of Pretty much. Oh, okay. <laughs> like those are them's fighting words. <laughs> oh, I, I meant to ask Lisa last time, but if you could take on any role in a leverage team situation, what role would you take on? Would you be the hacker, the hitter, the grifter, the thief, the mastermind? In an ideal world. In an ideal world, so we're a world where I actually have some thief skills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or yeah, or like, or you could throw a punch. Like, I don't know your life. Maybe you. Oh no, it's a problem, God. But, um, gosh, I don't know. I think being the mastermind would be super fun, but it also sounds like a lot of responsibility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so being the hacker might really be where I will land on that. I mean. Being Hardison seems like a good deal. Oh, yeah. I think Hardison has maybe the most work to do of all of them. I think he does do a lot of work. I think his, you know, and I was thinking about that as I rewatched this, that, you know, Hardison does a lot of, like, the prep work when the rest of them haven't even shown up yet. Exactly. Um, And so... It is, other than Nate, probably, like, the largest overall workload, but... Mm -hmm. But he enjoys it. You can tell he has, like, a lot of fun coming up with, you know, fake IDs and names and things like that. So, I think Hardison has a little bit of a librarian in him, because he also likes the research and, like, looking up all of the... their marks and doing all that. Yeah, that seems very fair. And especially given, you know, yeah, that he gives each of them such complete bios for every every role they take on, too. Yeah. Okay. So today we're going to watch, we're going to watch, we already watched. Uh, we're going to talk about episode six of season one called The Stork Job. It aired on January 6, 2009. So we're into the new year. And uh, it was directed by Mark Roskin, written by Albert Kim, and of course, executive producers slash creators, John Rogers and Chris Downey. This is the first one in a while that the, like, the writer wasn't a woman. And it was a, it's a person of color. It's a Korean American guy. So like, that's awesome. In 2008, 2009, they were being diverse. And <laughs> I don't know, I just applaud that. But in this episode, the, the team's approached by a couple who are swindled by an Eastern European orphanage scam, like you do. Uh, and they, um, they don't want the money back that they spent on this scam, but instead they want the, the boy, the, the son, who was taken away from them after a few hours. So they have to go into Belgrade and try to get this kid back. But of course, things are never that easy. We run into another scam along the way. So what were your thoughts so far? Like, so you've, you've seen this one before. You watched, the, you know, from the start. 
Have, did you do a rewatch before? Like, have you ever done a rewatch? Um, I did rewatch the episode. Um, I haven't done like a complete rewatch of the whole series, which I should do. Um, since they stopped other than when they were airing it. Mm-hmm. So, and such. But, um, but yeah, I, I really like this one. Um, I, I like Parker. I think the way that they sort of dribble out information to us about Parker is really intriguing. Um, and I like that it isn't ever, you know, like, oh, now we've cracked through the shell and she's just going to be mushy. It's just like, no, this is why she is who she is. And it's just intriguing backstory to help you better understand her. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. But conversely, at the very beginning of the series, I didn't like Parker at all because I thought she was played really one note. And then you, as you watch the show, you see, oh no, this is not a feeling on the actress's part. No offense, Beth Reesgraf, that I ever thought that about you. But, um, but it's really like Parker has this hard shell and she's like, I'm a thief and that's all you get to know about me. And... I'm going to act a little kooky and a little weird to throw you off and to like make you uncomfortable so you'll leave me alone. But, you know, as we go, she's like made friends with the rest of the team. And then in this one, like you definitely see a crack in that that hard shell. And she pulls it back <laughs> over her. Um, but now, you know, the team kind of can see her a little more for who she is. And we don't get to see that all the time. But I love that. So the episode was supposed to be um, originally was going to be more based um, or center on Nate because it was going to be about his and I kind of, you know, you get that feeling at the beginning because he's looking at this picture of this little blonde boy and um, so it was originally going to be all about his issues with children and fatherhood and, and losing his son but because they had some scheduling issues with the the child actors who were going to play the orphaned kids later they had to kind of rewrite things, which I think is for the better. Cause I can't imagine like not getting a Parker episode in this part of this season. Yeah. I think that it only helped. Well, and I think as you said, that for people who weren't quite clutching onto Parker yet, like this was the piece you needed to sort of, you know, get into why she was the way she was. Um, whereas by this point, we really understood that, you know, Nate, that everything Nate was doing due to the loss of his son. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, I think it would have, I don't want to say beat a dead horse, but I think it would have been superfluous at that point. And we'd already had a couple Nate-centric episodes. So it was really nice to kind of focus on that we get, you know, we get some uh, of Sophie and her acting and we get to find out a little bit more about Hardison too. Yeah. But yeah, but let's go let's go through the episode. Like I like jumped around. Um so like they were talking in the commentary that sadly this just like in almost every other episode this kind of scam is based on a real life scam where eastern european orphanages would kind of like pimp out a kid almost and then take them away after they'd gotten the money from the you know the expectant parents uh, which is just horrible um but 
let's see. So we get at the very beginning, we have a couple who are meeting some people in a dark parking garage uh, demanding to know where Luca, where their son is. And um, the husband gets beaten up by the, the thug bodyguards while uh, a mysterious couple kind of walks over them. <laughs> and then that the wife of that couple meets up with Nate and tells him about their their issues and their situation and he decides to take on take on the case oh i love so they once he's taken the the case the case the job i guess when they're meeting in the the conference room i love any scene in the conference room in the commentaries they always talk about how hard it is to like shoot in there but i love because it's just like their living room they sit around and like eat snacks and watch tv (laughs) but it's not tv it's the job. Right. And it's the only time we get to see them really just being them. Because once the job starts, like, you know, they're they're in roles, they're trying to get things going and you know, and this is as relaxed as they get to be. That's really true. Yeah. And you and you get to see their kind of their family dynamic in like a less tense situation. Right. But uh, we get to see Christian Kane, who looks like he's um, all busted up in his face. <laughs> because in real life, after a late night poker game with Timothy Hutton and Saul Rubinek, who you'll remember played um, the villain in the very first episode, uh, they were playing a poker game. And then, you know, like you do, you go outside to throw the football around a little bit. But if you're wearing your cowboy boots, like Christian Kane, and uh, they're a little slick. So he slipped and like face planted into like the sidewalk and that busted up his face. <laughs> so then they had to work it into the, the storyline uh, with his great, his great line. How was I supposed to know it was a lesbian bar? <laughs> I wondered about that. Cause I was like, this seems like a, just a, an odd detail to include here, but okay. Yeah. And then he's, he's fine in the next scene but they they say in the commentary that he just they say oh, what is it it's interesting when you see that shit kicker is a genetic thing because they said that he just healed really quickly and then like a couple days later he just like pulled off the scab and he's like okay i'm ready to shoot let's go but they had made like a prosthetic for him so you wouldn't you couldn't tell that he was injured that's hilarious to me um, i also like the idea that Elliot, who is like the baddest badass, there are there are more badass lesbians out there to beat him up. I really, I really like getting to know that little thing, a little bit of thing about him. Yeah. Then uh, while we're learning about the job, they're kind of looking at this picture and video of Luca meeting his um, prospective parents. And somebody, I can't remember who, somebody in the in the group kind of questions whether or not the kid is in on it with, with Irina, uh, or if he is actually an orphan. And Parker says, oh no, you see what he's doing? He's hoarding cookies. He has this bag that has all of his things with him so he can leave whenever he needs to and keep everything that is important to him close to him. Um, he flinches away because he thinks she's gonna, and then she trails off. Like, doesn't say, I think she's going to hurt him. But she's like, yeah, that kid's an orphan. You're just like, oh. <laughs> and everyone just kind of, like, looks at her, really uncomfortable. Like, what do we do? And Hardison, 
steps up and changes the subject um, to kind of get the attention off of her, which is heartbreaking, but she, ugh, I hate that. Uh, so he, then he preps them um, a little on Irina, who is in charge of the orphanage. She's um, like an aging actress and model, which comes into play a little bit later. So I was looking her up. She's, she just won an, I want to say she just won an Emmy, but I think like a daytime Emmy. She's on a soap opera right now, but she's been in a ton of things. And she speaks fluent Russian, so she was really great. She was really good in this part, because you kind of buy, like, washed up, but still ambitious actress. And you get that, like, coldness. And you can totally believe that she'd keep 20 children up locked in a warehouse. Right. Ugh. Above. Yeah. We'll get to that later. Um... Then, oh, so then we uh, we get to jump over to Belgrade, Serbia, uh, to the American embassy there. And uh, Sophie cannot be inside the embassy because she knows the, does she know the ambassador, the Serbian ambassador? I believe she recently swindled. Yes. It was the same ambassador. So. Yeah. And she, she still has the tiara which was great. Um, so instead of Sophie being inside, we get Parker and Elliot instead, which kind of harkens back because, when was it? I think it was during the homecoming job when Elliot plays a waiter. He says, next time I get to wear the suit. Oh, yeah. So this time he got to wear the suit. Uh, uh, so he's, you know, whining and dining pretty ladies and Parker is being a waitress trying to get a bead on Irina and whoever she's with because she's with some some shady guy and it's pretty easy to figure out who he is because he tracks her down and starts to hit on her while she's while she's working lovely oh I really liked this the the embassy is actually a Masonic lodge in Pasadena California yeah, I really like the background, all of the the extras and stuff. They all have like really interesting costumes that I kept like, oh, there's someone in a turban. There's someone who's wearing this like weird, elaborate gold outfit that I could not figure out what culture that would be from. But I was like, they had a lot of fun dressed up as that character. Uh, so Parker's a waitress. Elliot is flirting with all the ladies and then he approaches Irina and is trying to kind of sweet talk her but she just shuts him down immediately and um, if it weren't for Sophie in his ear he'd be screwed because she starts in telling him all of these tips and tricks and so in the the wiki for this episode because I love the leverage wiki it's very informative she, they say that she uses neuro-linguistic programming, which is just a fancy way of saying pickup artist techniques. <laughs> yeah. But I think she... I feel like they officially refer to it as neuro-linguistic programming in a later episode, too. Because mm-hmm. I think that the idea that Sophie programmed various people to respond to certain cues comes up 
as a through line through the yeah book. yeah and i do like that they they do name it later and the in the original wiki page for this episode it links over to another page for this and it literally says it's a psychological technique of mind control used in the television series leverage um and it goes all into the co-founders of it who thought it would be instrumental in finding ways to help people have better fuller and richer lives but it seems pretty pretty suspect um because yeah it's an effective and rapid form of psychological therapy but you can use it to manipulate people as as we see and nate while he's listening to sophie give elliot these tips he's like you've never used any of those on me have you <laughs> she she does the exact thing that she's telling elliot to do take a drink while maintaining eye contact and she's like no of course not <laughs> right this is why nate is doing such a terrible job of instructing parker because parker keeps doing everything he says literally as he says it which is exactly what you know anyone with parker experience would expect mm-hmm. he's so distracted he's not doing a very good job of which is guiding which is parker. really odd for nate oh. but you know he doesn't usually have sophie like he he watches sophie do this to other people he doesn't sit there and hear her consciously work through what exactly you have to do which is which is fascinating um and i love like hardison not being able to keep his cool just like this this other guy is talking to the girl you have a crush on and you're just like are you kidding me oh my gosh and he just cannot you're on the job dude like shh. and then you know she says his name when the guy asks her what her name is right. she's like yes my name is hardison and he's just like that is a beautiful name like all right okay Oh, I love Hardison can't have his regular orange soda, so he's drinking orange skew, the Eastern European version of orange soda. And he's like eating all sort of weird Eastern European crackers and junk. So good. Um, yeah, but Nate, Nate just being horrible at leading Parker, which in the last episode, Parker played... Um, an FBI agent, and she did a really great job. Yeah, you know, I mean, she... it's supposed to be a sign of both of their distractions. Like, Parker's distracted because this one means more to her. That's true, yeah. And Nate's distracted because he's, you know, getting the insight into some of the ways that Sophie might have been forgiving him. <laughs> um, because, yeah, I mean, it's very funny that it is a little bit out of character for both of them, so... In the commentary, they mentioned that this is like a super dark subject matter. You know, for the most part, leverage is dealing with like dark things um, and, you know, evil. But this one is particularly awful because it's little kids. And so I do think it really helps that they have the characters are off kilter. And so they're acting slightly out of character and that and, you know, they can play on the funniness of that. So that yeah, that's really helpful. And it but it like makes sense too. Like it's not forced at all. It's really natural. Um, so uh as part of the knowing as part of like Sophie being so good at her job, she knows kind of how to hook uh people in their like weakest spots. 
And in the commentary, they say usually for their marks, the the mark is is obsessed with money, so they can go at their greed because that's their weakest weakest point. Uh, but for Irina, hers is her vanity. They make Elliot into a producer who is looking for an actress for his his movie that he's record he's recording <laughs> that he's filming nearby uh, because Eastern Europe um, is really big for they're really good at like low budgets for filming. So he uh, he gets her that way. I love when he's just like, I'd rather be on my ranch in Texas. And she's like, oh, ranch, hello. I will now listen to you. And then when he says movie, she's she is totally in. Um, I love when they, they get rid of the, the director and the producer of this movie. They find this movie set and they just like take all the money from the producer. So he has to run back to Hollywood to try to figure out where the money went. And then the director, they switch his phone and they... They text him with the message that the Hills Have Eyes 6 wants him to direct. And then he's out. He's like, somebody mail my luggage to me. Because that is a better movie than the one they are making, which is about NATO soldiers being attacked by werewolves. Attacked by werewolves. And I think there are also Nazis in there somewhere, which is amazing. And, um, yeah, and so while they're on the set and, you know, of course they need a director, so they get Nate. And I love when they when Nate plays a character because all they do is just like, they'll put some glasses on him and then they just kind of brush his hair up and all of a sudden he's a different person. And it works. Like we, she didn't know who he was anyways, but it, he definitely comes off as like a weird eccentric kind of jerky director um yeah so they bring her on you see also that hardison is the special effects guy which comes back into play later and um but they tell her you know oh no no we, we can't use you because you were going to be the mother but we don't have the the kid who was going to play the son anymore and, and we can't get anybody else because he was like perfect he was like eight he was blonde he had a brown eyes he was an old soul and of course this perfectly describes Luca and she says oh no no no! I have a kid just like that <laughs> I just you know I have this hidden source of children that I can bring in at a moment's notice so they um they have her bring you know they tell her to bring him in the next day I guess later that day yeah I was the one thing thing I always wondered is how did they know she was going to bring back Luca and not like some other <laughs> Yeah, to me that she had multiple blonde children with gorgeous, soulful eyes. Yeah, that's really true. (laughs) Because they weren't planning on going and like getting all the kids, right? Like not for most of the episode. Yeah, I guess they were just banking on the fact that she was just gonna have one kid who's got the eyes of an old soul. almond eyes he said that's sounds a little racist okay um but yeah so she does bring him in but meanwhile sophie has made some changes to the script because the script did not call for a mother with a little boy but she adds in some of her own changes as well and makes gives herself a character (laughs) and she gets to be a nun and she like and they're like, who's going to play this other character? She just rolls rolls into the shot. 
Like, oh, just so good. So good. And and we all know that Sophie is horrible at acting. She's just, she's the worst, unless she's on the job. Um, but yeah, so they, I can't remember if that happens first, but I guess we could talk about it first. She, they shoot her scene where she's running through the woods and she's hiding in the barn and she gets shot up by the soldiers and she has a death scene. She like does a little prayer. She's got a rosary and then she, you know, falls over dead and it's amazing. Right. Like it's really, really good. And everybody's like, what? and you know, everyone's applauding. And apparently when they filmed that, everybody on set just wanted to be there to watch it anyways. So like that whole part is like packed with people just watching. And that's like actual people from the set just watching, which seems so meta. <laughs> like the film people were watching the actress act in a movie on a film set. It's just layers. Um, and she's like, oh, I want that for my reel. Right. But spoiler alert, she does not get it for her reel. <laughs> uh, I love that she, like, Sophie and all of them have so much money, but she's still like, I want to be an actress. She doesn't want to be it for the money. She wants, she just wants to be a star. I don't know, that just blows my mind. Meanwhile, Parker goes to kind of do reconnaissance at... Oh, I, we haven't talked about the guy who hit on her. So the dude who hit on her in the party is Nicholas, and he um, he's a really bad guy. Uh, real bad. And he went legitimate a couple years ago, but not really. And so they go to an address that they have for him, and it turns out that it's also the orphanage, which uh, was apparently really common to use orphanages and hospitals to store weapons and stuff, because that is what... Uh, Parker finds in the in this warehouse she finds that they're um, gun running that they're doing a deal with Chechens of all people uh, to sell them guns um, but they used to do this because they knew that hospitals and orphanages wouldn't be attacked so they would store guns and, and weapons and ammunition there so uh, you know she sees that they're doing this and she goes upstairs she opens the store and it's where all the children are and this is a rough scene because it's like this whole episode's really like they they shot it like really blue so it's, everything looks really cold and it's just this filthy room with bunk beds and all of these children just look so bedraggled and sad and the camera just like slowly pans around the room and then you look back at parker and she is freaking out like she almost falls over at some point she's holding herself up on the the bunk bed um until she hears something at the door and she has to hide under a bed which was of course the one that luca was in because <laughs> then he they pull him up off the bed because yeah. arena has come to to get him for the the, the movie that oh, that whole thing i did love that um when they're walking in and she sees the sign she says, what does that say? And Hardison's in the in his van with his computer, but then he opens up a book. A book instead of, I was like, can you Google Translate Hardison? Come on. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe in 2009, they didn't have the, you know, the technology now where you can just hold the camera up to it. I was like, he, he could have written that code. What's, what's he doing? But yeah, no, I just love that he, it's like, it's like, hang on, hang on. Oh, that means Mount Carmel Orphanage. Mount Carmel is just going to be a word you're going to find quickly. That's okay. 
<laughs> I'm like, orphanage, yes. Mount Carmel, that seems a little specific, but that's okay. Um, so yeah, so Parker's freaking out and he has to get her out of there. Um, and then they, yeah, it got, it got really dark really fast there, but they, they end up kind of by this waterfront and they stop and, and Parker's freaking out and she's she just wants to to scrap the whole thing she's like we have to get out of here we can't save like we have to just like leave the kid and go and hardison's no we have to we have to save this kid this is what we came here for and she says well we can't save them all and he's like well, we could get them and she says no because there's a million orphanages like this all over this country and if we put them in another one it's they're going to be in the same situation like there's it's not worth it like we can't do anything to help them and she's just uh beth reesgraf in this scene is so good she's just uh, it's like heartbreaking i definitely teared up I, I cry very easily but i teared up and and then you know hardison's trying to kind of relate with her and empathize and he's like you know i know it was really hard for you but not all foster parents are bad he drops the line you know my my foster parent wasn't bad and she says, no, you were raised by your grandma. Because he talks about his Nana in several of the other episodes. And he's like, yeah, we called her Nana, but she was our foster mom. And so you just get to find all this other thing about Hardison. I love Hardison so much. <laughs> he's my oh. favorite. Well, Hardison is, Hardison is the heart. Like, he's, he's the one who's, you know, sort of making sure they stay true to their mission of actually helping people and you know and Parker's trying to be practical and saying like look you know we came in for one kid like we can't we can't go bigger than that we can't risk you know we can maybe do this one thing but that's it and Artisan is like nope we found a bigger problem we just gotta go bigger <laughs> yeah yeah and he in the in the commentary they make a really good point like he opens up to her and he's trying to help her like through this hard like moment but he you know he doesn't use it as an opportunity to kind of like further any sort of agenda with her because he obviously has this huge crush on her but he doesn't like try to put his arm around her try to get physical or anything which number one would not work with parker at all like she probably would have like kicked him in the balls but he also knows like this is not appropriate like we're not at this level yet and the like very slow kind of give and take of their their courtship through the series uh is so like organic and, and this like nice slow evolution and he doesn't try to push it which i just think is amazing you know and then he said you know he like she says um you know they're just gonna end up like me like they could they could they could get lucky like you or they could end up like me and and you could tell that she obviously thinks that she's bad and like that's a horrible way to end up but he says you know i like the way you turned out and he doesn't stay there he like goes and gets in the car and then he's like okay let's go we gotta go <laughs> we need to go meet nate which he gives her a minute to kind of to grieve or be sad and kind of accept those words and then she like like, like rubs her face and she's like okay and then you just see Parker come back on and then they go get in the car which I think it was gross. it's just so great 
Uh, apparently when they were filming that scene, there were like party barges floating by, like really loud ones with like drunk people. And then there was like a traffic copter that kept circling <laughs> overhead. And it was really late at night. And they still managed to get that like really emotional scene, which I just think is fantastic. Um, then we have the, the group meeting up again sitting in all those director's chairs, kind of just in a circle. And it just occurred to me now that they're on the set, the movie set. I was like, where are they? Where, why do they have these random chairs in the middle of a warehouse? They're they're on the movie set. Um, and then you, it's like a nice, like, cool, tr- I love that they do this so often on Leverage, the, the like 360 tracking shot that just kind of goes around the group. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did it earlier when Irina was meeting Nate as the director, just kind of like hands around them. So you're kind of seeing everything like from his point of view her point of view elliot's point of view but here you get the whole crowd and we find out that they're the serbians are working with the chechens and uh you know (laughs) elliot says yeah chechens are really bad guys never tell a chechen his sister has a nice smile like just take my word for it and you know they find out how many more kids are in the orphanage and nate says we can only get this one kid out We'll, we can, we'll leave and we'll figure out what to do and come back for the rest of them, but we can only get this one kid out. Which is the the worst thing. Because, you you know, you can see, like, Parker and Hardison are both like, no, we, we have to do something. Uh, so, um, then we get into Arena's scene uh, when she finally gets you know, to shoot her scene with Luca. But when... <laughs> She's done being attacked by a werewolf and she has her death scene, which compared to Sophie's is like horrible. It's like worse than high school theater because high school theater is pretty good. Um, You know, she like wakes up. She's like, oh, I think I could do it better. But they're gone. The director, the producer, they're still, but I love that there's just still people like milling around and no one is questioning like where the director went in the middle of a like a, a scene that they were shooting we're just like oh yeah I get the sense this has not been a super tightly run set up until <laughs> that's so true they're just like yeah sure you know they wander off these things happen <laughs> yeah i'm still getting a paycheck it's fine it's fine that's very true yeah, yeah so she yeah. i like, love that she immediately checks the closet because yeah of course they meant you know they're gone obviously they meant to steal this child but i don't know if that would be where my first thought would go but i'm not a con artist like she is so (laughs) yeah that makes sense um but yeah they've taken and then you don't see her again oh no you do see her again we'll get to that in a second um so they park or no elliot hardison and nate and sophie are dropping off Luca with his his new parents and it was really nice like this kid doesn't speak any English um but you know he sees them again he recognizes them and she's like would you like to come with us and he like goes and he hugs her that's just beautiful and I imagine that Sophie kind of explains stuff because she speaks Russian um kind of explain what was going on and the dad I mean he was beaten up pretty badly in the very first scene but he just kind of stands there and just smiles he doesn't speak or anything but so they take they take luca away and in the commentary they're like people kept writing to us and saying how did they get him out of the country 
Which is definitely what I thought about the last time I watched it without commentary. It was like, he doesn't have any legal papers. Like, what are they going to do? And so, you know, John Rogers was like, of course, the leverage people, they, they've they forged papers for them. Like, they're not going to do anything half-assed. They're, if they're going to get you an illegal child, they're going to get you the papers to go with that child. Not, they're not going to make you go find someone in the black market somewhere. Those yeah. those people don't know anything about the black market. Those poor sweet people who lost one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. I can't imagine. Um, think about that. Somebody did a thread on Twitter about what it costs to adopt a child, and I feel like one hundred and twenty thousand was on the low end of the range. Yeah, yeah. I but people. I mean, it's amazing. People who want to adopt—that's excellent, and. You know these children need adopting but i'm like oh my gosh i cannot imagine yeah it's then and then you have a child to raise and there's all the money that that costs that that's expensive too yep yeah but i guess i mean if you do like traditional like not traditional but if you do like the the usual having a baby in a hospital that that price tag's way up there as well even with insurance you're in the hole for quite a bit, I think. I say as a childless person. I don't know these things. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to worry about them, luckily. Um, yeah, so they, you know, we can rest assured that Luca and his family are able to safely get back to the States with his new identity. Good, and he's going to be so much better off. Uh, unlike the other kids who are still in the orphanage. But not for long, because, you know... Nate just now notices that Parker is not there um, because she has gone off the rails and has gone back to the orphanage to free the children with absolutely no plan in place. And Parker doesn't speak any Russian, which I, I kind of wonder at. I, I feel like as a, you know, like the best spy in the world or one of the best spies in the world, she needed like a passing understanding of Russian street signs. Do you think? Maybe like not to speak, but I'm sure she's stolen something in Russia. Somebody else who handled the. But she, but she worked alone. As far as we know, at this point, she's worked alone. But anyway, she goes back and she sneaks in to the orphanage upstairs, and she's trying to get the kids to come with her, and she's got a Russian phrase book. And she's just saying weird things to them. Like, oh, it's my shiny tomato. And I can't think of what the other ones she said. But they're just like laughing at her because she's just speaking like nonsense until she says the magic words and she says Hagen does. And they're like, Hagen does, all right, let's go. So then she's, you know, they're all gonna follow her. But she opens the door and there's Nicholas who recognizes her and knows she's not there to give him another flute of champagne. We did not mention the fact that she stabs him. <laughs> That's a really big part of the episode. That's true. Oh my gosh. So back in the... Back, back at the em embassy. Yeah. He is just running his mouth about how you can't save everybody. And he's just saying like awful, just cold-hearted things. And so, you know, she does what we would all like to do at some point in our lives. And she she stabs him with a fork, and then she jumps off the balcony. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's not the appropriate waitress behavior, and she 
I think she probably got fired from that job. <laughs> She's not getting hired again at the embassy. <laughs> Though I don't know who else they're gonna hire who's American who could work at the Serbian American embassy. I don't know. So yeah, so she stabbed she stabbed him, which is great. Like Parker should stab somebody in every episode. Um yeah, so uh when he sees her leaving, he opens she opens the door and he's there. He first says her name, Hardison. Um and because there's like a like a union rule or something that um child actors can't watch the fighting. Like fight scenes or something the door closes right behind her so she goes and fights him outside in the hallway and um interesting I yeah that she would have did that because she was protecting her that's i mean and that's how it plays definitely <laughs> but i think it's actually like a legal thing which makes sense like let's try to keep the kids out of the way of excessive violence as much as we can until we show it to them on television um yeah <laughs> but then she does see like a little kid just like peeking through the door and i think it's the little asian girl who you see earlier in the the wide shot of the whole orphanage who is actually the daughter of the writer of this episode Ooh. and in the commentary they they asked him about you know is that is that accurate like would there be a korean kid in this serbian orphanage and he says actually there's a lot of asian kids in orphanages across eastern europe and I don't know how they get there, but that's really sad. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, yeah, so my daughter's in this, and it's accurate. But, okay, so she's fighting him, and he's a much larger guy, so he kind of gets the upper hand for a minute. But then she she gets him, like, right where she had stabbed him. And I didn't realize that the first time I watched it. But, yeah, so she gets the upper hand once she, like, gets him in the shoulder where she had gotten him. And he, he like, lets go of her because he's choking her, I think. And so he lets go and she is, you know, she just beats the crap out of him and it's beautiful. And it, it really shows that Parker was on her own for a long time. She took care of herself. Like, you know, before she came a thief, even she was a foster kid. She probably had to take care of herself from the get go. I mean, we know that she blew up that house that some guardian of hers was living in, whether those were her actual parents or her foster parents at that point. I think they were her foster parents. But, um, yeah, so she beats him up and then she's like, okay, kids, everything's fine. Let's go. <laughs> and she tries to get them out and she's doing pretty well. Um, until she hears, until S Sophie shows up. So the whole, the whole team has come to like, you know, back her play basically. And I love that Sophie's like speaking to them in Russian. She's like, okay, come this way, come this way. Um, but one little kid makes a noise and the, the gun runners, cause the, the deal, of course, the deal with the Chechens is going down right now and they hear them and then they just like like you do when you see a bunch of children walking up some stairs you just start to shoot at them like that's the logical the logical thing to do is just open fire yeah uh, so they give the kids they go up and then they come back down kind of the fire escape outside and uh, Elliot has taken care of the guard at the door and we've got Nate waiting in the the bus to be the getaway driver and um yeah so they're they're trying to get away parker jumps up onto the back of the bus and the nicholas has you know 
regained consciousness and he runs out there with a couple of guys and they start they just start opening fire on the bus which was really scary the first time you watch it scary the first time especially because parker you know then immediately tries to make herself bigger so sweet of her but Mm -hmm. oh no you can't die either yeah i know like and I don't know how many kids you would have saved, but like it was super admirable that she like just you know like tries to spread out and, and make herself a bigger target. Um, but luckily, there are blanks in the guns, and the guns aren't, or the guns just aren't real, because earlier when we were on the film set, we saw, yeah, we saw um, Hardison marking the bottom of the the prop guns with like a, a wax crayon, and. Then we see the X's on the bottom of the the barrels or whatever those parts of the guns are called. And I just, I love that that was kind of, that foundation was laid, which happens a lot of times in Leverage and I always love it. And I always say that I love it where they, you don't know what you're watching, but it's setting up something for later. It's like Chekhov's gun. Yeah. Um, but like sneakier than a gun. Though in this situation, it was still a gun. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, they're like dealing with the fact that, oh my gosh, these aren't real. And then Hardison walks into view and um, sets off an explosion in the warehouse. He does not say fire in the hole, which he should have, I think, because he says that earlier when he's playing the pro- like the special effects guy on the set. That's a small, very small qualm. I also want, I guess that's why he didn't show up till just then. I was like, when did they have time to switch all of the guns and plant explosives everywhere? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of magic and you kind of almost have to assume that they just decided to do that in case Parker pulled. <laughs> yeah. Like, like that maybe they did it last night just in case. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe because I... Th- were they planning on taking out the gun runners or are they just like we're just gonna get Luca? And I should remember this since I just watched it yesterday. Cause if they were gonna take out the gun runners, then it would would really make sense that they had switched out the guns. Though not to have planted explosives in a building where they knew children were housed. Yeah. It's really would they would not do that. But I mean Hardison had all the explosion explosives from the the set. I don't know. It's just Kismet is all in that van and that bus, and they were like, let's just go, let's do all this stuff really quick. I'm gonna suspend disbelief. There's a lot of things I suspend disbelief on, and I will do it with this one again. What else? What happens after that? Oh, so they they take the kids and they're kind of in like another kind of warehousey barn area. Um, and the kids who they didn't have them on set anymore. They just explained it because they're all asleep. Yeah, so they um, they kind of explain that the kids aren't in a shot because they've all fallen asleep. You know, after all the excitement of their old orphanage being blown up right in front of them. What a big Yes. And, you know, they, they kind of have a sweet little discussion of, you know, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna take the kids across the border and the World Health Organization will be there to take them. And Parker has, you know, she's nervous about that. And she, they said, no, we called them ahead of time. They know we're coming and they, they have some, you know, good stuff lined up for them. <laughs> Sophie finds out that there was no tape in the, the camera that filmed her death scene. She's very upset. And they're going to have to stop in Paris. 
on the way back, which was so cute at the beginning when they were talking about going to Serbia. She's like, oh, can we stop in Paris? Can we just stop off? He's like, maybe on the way back if you're good, <laughs> which was not said, but implied. And Parker says, you know, how did you know that I was going to be at the orphanage? And Nate says, you, you know, I have to ask Hardison about that. And then they have this cute scene because he's angry at her because she put herself in danger and she's, you know, she's like, I didn't really have a plan. I just knew I needed to do something. And he's like, yeah, you don't work alone. Like you have, you have a team now. And, and she just like, I don't know how he didn't like just melt, but he, she just like looks up at him and she's like, mm, you know, we're, you know, we're more than a team, aren't we? And you're just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, and he had said that to her earlier when they were by the waterfront, like, you know, and she said, I know, I know we're a team. And he said, we're more than just a team. So oh, yeah. go. That's so good. And she just has, she just like makes her eyes really big and like looks up at him through her eyelashes. And then he's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> he's just like giddy. I love him. He's so, he, he's can be like really earnest he can be really goofy he can be like threatening if he needs to be like and and like cool and suave but like he does all of those like effortlessly and he just like transitions from them so beautifully and he's so young he was like 21 when they filmed this he's like a little bb yeah so that is the stork job that's how that ends oh it ends with all the kids yelling hagen dogs and they have to go get some Haagen-Dazs. Which I don't blame them, that's really good ice cream. They do, they, when they're talking about Irina's uh, acting career, they mention the Emmanuel films, which I didn't know about. And then in the commentary, they're like, yeah. So when we talked about in the writer's room, it was basically the same scene that you see where all the guys are like, oh yeah, those movies. And all the women are like, what? Because they're, they're basically born movies. I definitely, <laughs> I was curious and I looked up a trailer and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's born. No, I had noticed that, yeah, that Hardison says she was in some French films. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and then he says that and then Elliot's like, oh, she was Emmanuel. <laughs> and it's apparently this whole series has been going on for like years. There's like 20 movies. It's crazy. And it explains like Sophie's kind of, she has this expression on her face, especially when Nate says that he's seen them. She's like, what, what? <laughs> Which is hilarious. Um, I can't believe we forgot to talk about the stabbing earlier. <laughs> oh, and that balcony in that scene, cause it looks out kind of on the, the skyline or whatever it actually that's green screen and it looked out on a like a gymnasium in this masonic lodge which i thought was a nice little bit of movie magic and there was like a 10 foot drop so the the stunt woman just like just dove out and like landed on some mattresses or something i don't know trampoline no something safer than a trampoline i'm hoping yeah i think that's all for that episode so uh i am gonna talk really quickly about a book called the everything box it's the first in a series called another coop heist it's by richard cadry cadry with a k um the this book as i was reading it 
I couldn't help but kind of classify in my head as like Ocean's Eleven meets um, Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. So it's um, there. There's a big heist element, and the main the main character, his name is Coop, uh, who is human, but he kind of works in this um, kind of on the fringes of humanity. Like so, uh, most of you you know humankind doesn't know about the weird things that go bump in the night, but Coop does. And he is um, has a mysterious client who has engaged the services to get this small box. But little does he know, everybody else in the world is looking for this box because it was in the pocket of an angel thousands and thousands of years ago, and it fell out of that angel's pocket, and it, it will bring about the apocalypse and the end of days. So everyone's trying to find this, this box, and Coop is caught by the um the department of peculiar science while he's trying to steal it and they kind of blackmail him into working for them to try to find it first so it's it's like really off the wall and goofy and it's i mean i'd say it was like a poor man's good omens because it's also dealing with the end of the world but but it was really it was really fun and there was a second book that i haven't read yet called the wrong dead guy (laughs) The wrong dead guy. So I'm looking forward to reading that one too. So Tara, you said you had a book to recommend. Yeah, I recently read E. Lockhart's Genuine Fraud. It is, as you might suspect from the title, about someone who is not being honest about themselves. <laughs> it is told with a backwards timeline, so you start knowing that there were two people, but one of them is now dead, and then slowly you move backward or yeah, backward. <laughs> and learn more and more about what led up to all of that and I really enjoyed it it was a quick but fun read for you know a story in which someone dies yes I love the cover it's beautiful it's got like the blonde hair and the scissors but yeah I haven't read it yet so that's good all right so you guys Y'all got two book recommendations this week. And unless you have any more thoughts, Tara, I'll wrap things up really quick. Yep, I think that's it. All right, so that's it for episode six, our episode seven, uh, The Stork Job. In two weeks, we'll be talking about The Wedding Job. There might be three of us talking about it because a couple of people expressed interest in co-hosting with me. So find out then in the meantime if you are listening to this podcast and you really love the show leverage and you would like to be a a co-host of mine please go ahead and uh, follow me on twitter and send me a dm and we can work something out Uh, you can find me on twitter at librarian and i'm on instagram like that as well tara do you want people to follow you sure um (laughs) i'm on there as tara tlk are my initials oh okay i was like tara talk but with no a <laughs> probably said something about me <laughs> hey that's good that's that's what you want from a podcast co-host so all right thanks for listening everybody and you won't see us again but you'll hear us again in two weeks all right bye, bye.